Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So Jesus is the answer. Watch <coughs> verse 32. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, to love his neighbors himself is more than all full burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, discreetly, thoughtfully, like he actually thought about it and pondered that question, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. No man after that durst ask him any question. So, <coughs> this man approaches Jesus, and after listening to Jesus answer, Question after question by the lawyers and the Pharisees and Sadducees. This scribe, now the scribe was a copyist. He copied the Bible. He spent his life making copies of the pages of the Bible. He asked him what's the most, um, he asked him the most important question, and that is, what's the greatest and first commandment? Jesus answers, he says, to love God with everything we have. And to love others like we love ourselves. Now, off the bat, there was a lot of debate on what was the first and great commandment. A lot of theologians of the day, and still today, people wonder, what's the most important thing to do? What's the most important thing uh, in life? So on and so forth. But this scribe said, you're right. That's the debate. He says, that is exactly right. He said, after all of the pages out, after reading all of the Bible I've read and copied all that I have copied, I have found this to be true. The greatest command is to love God and to love others like to love ourselves. But the scribe said something that caught my attention. In verse 32, oh, see, verse 33, he says, And to love him with all the heart, but here's the thing that caught my attention. And with all the what? Understanding. See, I knew that uh, to understand love, to grasp it, to know it, you know, I'm, uh, uh, I'm prone to driving on autopilot. Does anybody know what that means? You're driving along, and all of a sudden, you didn't make a turn, and your wife says, where are you going? I have no idea. I'm just going this way every day, and I, I don't even think about where I'm going. I'm sure there are areas around your neighborhood, and where you, we don't even think about where you're driving and what you're doing at that moment because you know it so well. Well, to understand love, to know it without even, without even having to force yourself to think about it is better than all the religious activities you can do, all the efforts, all the good works and the ceremonies that you may ever be part of. It's even better than winning all the lotteries. Over here in America, some crazy three people won part of $1.6 billion in the last week or a week and a half ago. <clears throat> I know something better than that. I know something better than, than um, winning all the game shows combined and all the talent shows. <coughs> it's knowing the love of God. Experiencing the love of God. So Jesus gladly admits that this man was not far from getting born again. He says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Boy, everybody just stopped and says, we're going to ask you any other questions because they didn't understand that part, but 
What a powerful statement. Whatever that scribe got was this close to getting saved. So this is how important it is that we understand love. Father, I pray that as we <clears throat> begin to once again look at what real love is, that we would yearn hunger and desire to not just know it in our head, but know it with our understanding with all our heart, with all our understanding. Because it is then that love actually affects us. It's not something we read about, but something we wish for, it's something we will experience. Not every person in this room, even those saved, many people in this room have been born again, they need to remember the love of God. But there are some people in this room who have never once understood just how much Jesus Christ loves them. Only they can receive it today. It would change their life. And it needs to. I pray for the Holy Spirit now to take over and to work the word into every heart. Bring you forth fruit under repentance and eternal life. In Jesus' name. <coughs> so, probably we already know what love is. Oh, I know what love is. If I said define love, everybody would have a different definition. But we all believe that we know what love is. But do we understand and know and comprehend the love of Christ? my goal. We'll go to Ephesians now, if you will. We'll spend our time there. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul is praying for the Christians in a town called Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees Unto the Father of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. What's he describing? He's describing praying. He's describing going on to his knees. That's a good way to do it, by the way. Now, if you're driving, you're not driving on your knees. But if you're not driving, take some time, get away, inside your bed, somewhere in your house, somewhere, where you get on your knees and you humble yourself before God. Paul says, this is the reason why I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. This is his prayer request. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That he, being rooted and grounded in, what's the next word? In love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Sounds like a contradiction. I want you to know something that you can't know. Isn't that what Christian life is? To strive to get to know something that is unfathomable, unknowable. He might be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul is telling the Christians here in Ephesus that he's praying for them. He's not, he's not praying for them to be rich, and happy, and healthy. <coughs> he's praying for them to be strengthened in their inner man. What's your inner man? That's your soul. That's what I can't see. Now some of you, you got colds and flus, you got manslums, you got, you know, you got, you got uh, problems, you got stress. Paul didn't pray against any of that. 
We spend a lot of time praying against the devil. We pray for people to be healed. And we pray for problems to go away. And there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus said, seek and not. There's nothing wrong with asking God for your needs. But there's something wonderful about asking for the right things. Paul says, I pray that you be strengthened in your inner man. You, that, that, that part of you that, that wants to quit. That part of you that, that hits a wall and you just say, I take one another step. So we need to be strengthened with the inner man. And that Christ would dwell in their hearts. Now, I learned about Christ. I want to know Him with my mind. I want to understand Him. But where is the best place for me to love and walk with Christ? It's in my heart. You know what that allows for? Me not to understand. But to still trust Him. We've got it too calculated. I'll believe when I understand. And you'll never believe. Because God's ways are not your ways. Neither are your ways, His ways. His, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are His thoughts above our thoughts. So, the prayer was that Christ would dwell in their hearts. They would be rooted and grounded, well grounded, in this concept called love. But most of all, that they'd be able to comprehend the love of Christ. <clears throat> A lot of people are, I'm going to go out on a limb. A lot of people are, are wondering whether we're back at 2008. There are some very well-paid, highly trained individuals up in government and in, in uh, non-government non uh, um, organizations that are analyzing the markets and analyzing China and, 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 and watching stock markets and oil prices and they're saying, we're back at 2008. What are they trying to do? They're trying to understand What's coming up next? You know what? As, as Eric would say, it's coming no matter what. You and I can do very little about it except hold on. If you could spend your life trying to analyze and prepare and stress yourself out, or you could really get to know the love of Christ. Which, would, which should you do? Paul said, I want you to be able to comprehend Christ's love for you. Now, to do that, he uses, he's a wise master builder, as the Bible says. To use that, he uses a builder's description. And he says, look there again, he says that you may be able, verse 18, to comprehend all things, what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ. So, there's things like a box or a building. Most everything in this universe has dimension. It has size and shape and height and depth and length and breadth. And in each one of these things, give us some insight to the love of Christ. He doesn't just say, know the love of Christ. He says, the love of Christ has size. The love of Christ has weight. The love of Christ has height and depth to it. And when you see those four dimensions, the glory of work. See, this kind of love that comes from the Bible only, by the way, you may have read a hundred romance novels. You've never read about love then. You may have watched a hundred, you know, chick flicks. And the girls crying, oh, I'm crying, crocodile tears, and the tissues coming out. Oh, it's been You could spend your money watching countless numbers of, of, of uh, uh, movies about love, and, uh, the most popular and most uh, enjoyable songs are love songs, aren't they? But until you know the love of Christ, I don't think you can know the length, the breadth, the height, and the depth of what love can be like. 
So, these people in the Bible experience such like John. John chapter 13. We'll come back to the Ephesians, but go to the Gospel of John chapter 13, verse 23. John chapter 13. John chapter 13 and verse 23. Look at these simple words. Now they were leaning on Jesus' bosom, on his chest. One of his disciples whom Jesus what? You know what John liked to call himself? The disciple whom Jesus loved. It's not that Jesus didn't love any of the other disciples. What's different about John is he knew he was loved. See, Jesus loved all his disciples. He didn't go, John, I like you, Peter, uh, you're on probation. He didn't do that. Sean was, was somebody who just loved to write. And when he wrote, he says, I'm the, the disciple that Jesus loved. He experienced such love that had breadth and length and height and depth. The Apostle Paul, Galatians now, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul, the great intellect, the great theologian, you know what Paul says? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You've got to admit, Paul knew about the love of Christ. It, it, it hit him. He says, oh, I don't I live. I don't live by my own faith. I don't even know how to love. I live by the faith of the Son of God who just loved me so much that he gave himself for me. You know, lepers, blind, lame, dying trouble, dying people, troubled people, lonely, demon-possessed people, sinners, heartless, publicans, they all sat at the feet of Jesus and didn't want to leave because they knew he loved them. The Pharisees were furious. Somebody was experiencing love. It's kind of hard. I don't know how to feel. Somebody sing one, you see. It's kind of rare today, but you see a married couple over there and they're googling each other, winking at each other. They, they got to skip in their steps. It's a shame that, that, that unmarried people who are dating have more fun than married people. I think what you get married, you have the most fun. That's how it should be. But it's kind of hard when you're single and you see somebody else in love. But let me tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it. And those Pharisees saw something that Jesus had that they never had. It was a love for people. Such love was experienced by a rich man in Mark chapter 10. Back to the gospel of Mark chapter 10. Mark 10 verse 17. Mark 10 verse 17. When he was on the floor, he was on the way, there came one running kneeled to him and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus catches him on the inheriting and the working part. He says, Have you been good enough? And the guy says, Oh, sure, I'm great. And he says, Let's check it out. He tests him. He says, Sell everything you've got. 
and follow me. And the man looked at verse, verse 20, and he answered and said to him, Master, all these things I've observed from my youth. Let's see, I want to get down to... Uh, yeah. <clears throat> then, uh, Master, all things that I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, what did he do? He loved him. He said to him, he, didn't, he wasn't upset at him for being so brash and uh, bragging. He loved him. He said, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at this thing. And he went away grieved for he had great possession. Now, well, what did Jesus? Here's a rich man. Did he love him because he was rich? He just loved him. Sometimes you see somebody that got a lot of money and they don't seem to care about you. All they care about themselves. This is a man who only cared about himself, didn't he? He said, I've, I've got all this wealth. I'd really like to go to heaven now. And Jesus kind of rebuked him and said, All you thought of is yourself. All your life. All you've done is take, take, take. Here you are asking, how do you go to heaven? But instead, Jesus loved him. He says, let me tell you what you need to do. And in love, he says, just sell it all and follow me. And I tell you, as, as, as hard as it was, I bet that man contemplated it and said, could I do it? And he went away sad because he, made the wrong, he knew he made the wrong decision. But it was Christ's love to a rich man. Mary, Mark, and Lazarus, John chapter 11. All of these people experienced love that had breadth and length and height and depth. John chapter 11, verse 5. John chapter 11, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary. And Lazarus. He was pretty evident. He liked to visit by visit that house. Mary and Martha had often argued about who was going to be working in the kitchen and who got to sit the of Jesus. But Jesus loved them. They actually experienced the love that you need to ponder to make sure you're experiencing. He can be experienced by every person in this room. What is in, contained in this Bible is written for our life. For our admonition, comfort of the scriptures. You say, nobody loves me. I want to fix that too. Now, comprehending the breath, when you begin with this thought of breath, I want you to understand how far it reaches. If you stretch out a line marking just one side of a building, that's the breath. When you, when you lay the foundation and you make a line there, you're, you're marking the breath. Of the structure you're about to build. That's the first thing you do before you before you dig up the ground. You lay a line. It's called a masonry line, or um, and you use a plumb line to make sure your corners are, are straight and even there. But when you start there, that's where God starts. Funny thing is, when God starts to lay out the breadth of His love, He doesn't have a starting point or an ending point. You see. The wider the base, the stronger the structure. For example, how many of you know about the Eiffel Tower? You see, Mr. Eiffel could not just build a Dublin Spire. You can't go very high just on going straight up. You have to have a base that is wider than, than the structure is higher. This, this base allows for height. <coughs> I mean, what the pyramids? 
over 3,000 years ago, they knew that you had to have a very wide base, um, uh, uh, breadth, in order to get some height out of that thing. You've got some very tall buildings, a Sears building in, in uh, Chicago there. It starts off wider, and it gets narrower as you go up. That's, that's because that's how it has to be. All of nature says and teaches that the wider the base, the higher and the, um, uh, the more the structure can bear uh, above it. Now the breadth of the love of Christ is the base that God has laid for everything that he can be on. What do you mean by that? God's infinite breadth of his love is a strong base upon which Christ can love sinful people. See, I have a limit. I bet you do too. On what you can put up with and what you can handle among other people, amen? My, my love has a certain breadth to it. And that's all. God's, the breadth of his love is infinite. For example, uh, Another way of saying the breadth of love of Christ is by looking at the breadth of what God has created. This entire universe is not there just to look pretty. It's there to give us understanding of just how big God's breadth is. For example, huh? uh, our solar system is big. I think our planet is big enough. Where's Sarah? Sarah with asking me these. How fast is the Earth spinning? I think pretty fast. How fast? I said a thousand miles an hour. She's fast so long. I said, well, that's because this planet is pretty big, all right? If it was spinning much faster, we'd be flung off of it, okay? A thousand miles an hour. This planet is massive to be swinging around. Uh, also, I told her, I said, the sun spins as well. It takes 33 days for it to turn all the way around. These are big objects. Our universe, our, 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 our solar system, it's massive. It took eight years for a little bitty rocket and satellite to get from Earth all the way out to a little subplanet. How often do Eight years. That ain't nothing compared to the galaxy that we live in. That ain't nothing compared to the universe. Why did God make the universe so big? So it could show how wide the breadth of his love is. one second that God doesn't love you and that he can't love you. You know, he loves every Jew, every Gentile, every pagan, every religious zealot, every politician, which is amazing, every pedophile, every sinner, every nation, every tribe, every kindred. He loves everybody. Now, he doesn't love what they do. But he loves them. He has a breadth for it. He also has a length for it. That's how long it works. See, the length is usually referring to the time God is willing to take to reach the uttermost. Have you ever thought about how far time goes with God? How far will God go patiently waiting for somebody to find to receive his love? The length of God's love. To what length will you go? I remember when I was courting my wife. She didn't even know I existed. <laughs> I, I, I settled, I told the story before, I mean, I, 
thinking she'd be interested in me either. I sort of just ignored her, but my heart would beat like crazy. So we were one day, one evening, what were we playing? Or some game? We were, we were in Bible college, and we are gathered around this table, playing, I don't know what, uh, playing a game. And, uh, one scum bucket of a guy <laughs> looked over and said, Hey, Nita, you want to go get something to eat? And I went, I'm going! <laughs> So what length will you go to pursue love? Yeah, boy. I'm going to make sure she noticed me that night. Then on. <laughs> you know what Christ's love is? He began back in eternity past. It's what our 1 John 4.19. 1 John chapter 4, 19. First John chapter four nineteen. Think the length of this love. First John four nineteen. We love God. I hope you do. But we love Him. What does it say? Because He first loved us. When did He first love you? When you got born? When you were so gooey, gooey, cuddly, and sweet and innocent? No, He loved you before the foundation of the world. He loved you before time began. Christ's love began to return to be past. Christ's love continues to the very end. We're in the Gospel chapter 13 and verse 1. John chapter 13 and verse 1. Yeah. We love him because he first loved us. John chapter 13 and verse 1. You know, in John chapter 13, it's just about the time when his disciples are going to turn away from him and run away. Their love for him is going to end. Let me show you when Christ loves him. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the what? He just can't love them. You know, that's a good verse. You want to you encourage yourself, realize he'll, he'll love you. All the way to the end. And by the way, with Christ, there is no end. You see, those, those disciples, they saw a limit to what they could put up with and what they could understand. And when their understanding fell, when everything crumbled out around them, they said, can't do any more. But Christ, as he was whipped, as he was beaten, as he was raised up between heaven and earth on that cross, and left them to die, he loved them to the end. That's love. And it's linked to it. By the way, Christ's love is never ending. Jeremiah 31. There's so many some scriptures this morning. Jeremiah chapter 31. If you will. Verse 3. Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. And, and this is a verse, this is, these are words that God is speaking through Jeremiah to a people who had so turned their back on him, who had so rejected and argued and fought and spit in God's face. And listen to God's response to that in chapter 31, verse 1. Verse 3, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, yea, this is God talking, I have loved thee with them. Everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I constantly drawn 
constantly trying to get you back to me. Christ's love has length. It never ends. And if you really, if that's his grip on us, if you go to Romans chapter 8, and that grip is unbreakable, Romans chapter 8, Verse 35. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Verse 36. As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep of the slaughter. Nay. In all these things we are more than conquerors to him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor light, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nor height, here we are, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's a good grip. You see, Christ's love not only has breadth to it, it has length to it. It can go on and on. You say, he can't still love me. I used to be on fire for God. I used to read my Bible. I used to want to be in church. I used to want to be a missionary. I used to want to be a preacher. I used to to want to be a godly woman. I used to want to to keep myself pure. And for my husband or for my wife, I wanted to raise a godly family. I used to want to do all those things, and now I don't know what I want. God's length is he still loves you. He can't love you less. It's impossible. What is it for you to do is come back and say, God, you can draw on me, I'm coming. You know, it's just a simple childlike surrender. You say, Lord, you win. Wouldn't it be nice if love won? Wouldn't it be nice? It just never quits. The love of Christ doesn't quit. Once we receive it, and we'll not that a little bit. Once we receive the love of Christ, it never stops. Third, he mentions the depth. Really, when he talks about depth, he's talking about how strong something is. Now, the depth of the love of Christ shows a thickness that resists pressures and attacks. It's not superficial. Somebody says, I love you. Ladies, beware when a guy says, I love you. I don't know how to I think one of the, the, the ladies who have a guy who's sitting there and he's got a drink and he sees you through beer. I'm like, man, they don't love gardens. <laughs> All three of you. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's not love. The death of the love of Christ shows a thickness that resists the pressures and attacks in something that is real. There, there's an unseen foundation of our relationship with God. I don't even know what that is. Leaning Tower of Pisa. Tower of Pisa. Now, you know why it's leaning? Because they didn't build a deep foundation. And the ground underneath is kind of soft. It's a bit of an Irish bog underneath there. And that thing, the depth of the foundation is not very deep. So, over the years, it began to tell. By the way, if about 30 years ago, if they didn't do it, they actually had done several things. But 30 years ago, it was almost over. It was about to fall completely over. They had done some major damage to it by pumping in some... It's funny. Always get an engineer to mess things up. 
Uh, they thought that if they pumped water on this side, it would it would bring it and tilt it this way and make it make it straighten up. But when they pumped water on this side, it actually seeped over there and saved even more. Not the fact. Engineers aren't always the most intelligent ones. Uh, but the point is, the foundation was very shallow. No depth. Many of you have seen these kind of cracks in your home, hopefully not with a burn. But sometimes on the walls, there's something that the, the, the earth, the, the ground underneath, just slowly shifting and makes a crack. We have some way to subsidence to our home. When we talk about, when we talk about the depth of the love of God, we're talking about something like an iceberg. You may not see much of it. You may not be able to feel it, but you can know it's deep, just like an iceberg. It goes miles down below that little bit of an iceberg you see on the top. That is the foundation for our relationship with God. The depth. Well, a mighty tree becomes mighty not because of its great branches and great leaves and great fruit. You know what makes a mighty tree able to withstand the storms? Deep roots. That's why there we skip over, but there's a lot there. The Ephesians says that we would be rooted and grounded in God. That it would be such a part of our life. You know, Christ's love has to withstand two big things. One, the accuser of the brethren. Go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. This is yet future. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. Can you imagine? What did you like? When you were younger, let's just put it in perspective here, you probably had a little brother or little sister who told on you, didn't you? Some of you were that little brother or little sister, right? Okay? Show on the phone again! <laughs> Add a little. That's an accuser. You know what an accuser has to do? Just tell the truth. See, the devil doesn't have to lie about your sins. All he has to do is keep accusing you of what you've done already. He doesn't have to make up anything, does he? And the accuser on our brethren, night and day, goes before God and says, You see what better? You see what he just said? Did you hear what he said? That's wrong, Father. God, you know what, what, what uh, uh, Craig just said was not what a Christian was saying. Oh, did you see what he Did you see his thought? There's another one. All day, every day, day in, day out, the accuser of the brother came up to God and says, You thought about Graham lately, Father? <coughs> God, you know about Graham? You know what he's doing right now. You know he's not doing right. You know all this stuff. I'm not telling him on this right. didn't tell me anything. Don't worry. <laughs> There's Edward. God, you hear about Edward? Did you see Edward? All he does is bring up our dirt. You know what the love of Christ has to endure? All that dirt. It's got to have some depth to it. 
You know, if you ever have a friend who, when the world turns against you, starts saying dirt about you and telling the truth about you, and that friend stays true, you have a good friend, wouldn't you say? What a friend we have in Jesus. You see, his love has depth. He withstands, his love withstands all the constant attacks of the devil against his love for us. So he withstands the future brother, and he withstands our own weaknesses against that weakness. You know what's terrible? It's one thing that the devil would be accusing us. It's another one when we go around and we do it again. And we sin again. And we do look it. How does he stay in love with us? Because he has doubt to his love. This kind of love, that is death, reaches to the lowest that we have ever gone. Deuteronomy 33. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Deuteronomy chapter 33. In verse 27. You're on chapter 33. Verse 27. The eternal God is thy refuge. Notice these words. Aren't they amazing? And underneath are the everlasting arms. Just stop there for a second. However low you've gone, Christ is going to be. He's on low. You have to think about that for a minute. My dad was a certain generation. When my dad wanted to teach me how to swim, you know what he did? When my dad wanted me to climb a tree and said, climb a tree, you know what he did? He helped me up the tree. And I said, how am I going to do? He says, jump. You don't know how to fall, are you? We'll see. <laughs> I'm just telling you, there's something about the old generation. Honestly, you know what his arms were? Just like that. Just like that. What was he trying to get me to do? Number one, not be afraid. Number two, trust him. Okay? You know, God doesn't come in and say, Craig, look at the mess you got in and I'd get out of it. He doesn't say that. He goes down underneath and he picks us up. In order to get us out of the pit that we find ourselves in, he has to go deeper than the pit, doesn't he? The eternal refuge. That's what, that's what Jesus is called. Underneath are the everlasting, timeless arms. Remember how old Jesus had to go with Philippians now. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. <coughs> Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, that's his height, taught him not robbery to be equal with God, that's where he began, but made himself of no reputation, that's a step down, took upon him the form of a servant, that's another step down, was made in the likeness of men, that's a step down, 
And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself further and became obedient unto death. That's a step down. Even the death of the cross, which is a real step down. Look how low Jesus went. Look at the depths that Jesus went to so that you would look at him and say, save me. So that you could look to him and say, thank you for loving me. Look look at what he did, how long he went, so that you'd say, you're worthy of me following you. Wherefore, verse 9, God also hath highly exalted, brought by God, and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, Christ, to get all that honor and glory that he deserves, now he already had it, but he set it aside and he became lower, 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 so that you'd notice it. You'd say, he's worthy. He's worthy. Tomorrow morning, you need to wake up. Or you head off to work and say, Lord, you're worthy of my life today. You're worthy of right words. You're worthy of right thoughts. You're worthy of right actions. You're worthy of sacrifice. You're worthy of suffering. You're worthy of trouble. You're worthy of sorrow. You're worthy of everything. Because how low you had to go to get me. That's what you heard. I wrote breadth, length, depth. I mean, if I wrote it, but Dan, I would start off with the height. I would start off how great and how. That's the last thing. <clears throat> this is where his goal is the height. See, Christ loved towers above everything else. Normally, something taller than us is, and bigger than us is scary, isn't it? I had a bully when I was in. Called it middle school. It was we had uh, uh, six classes, but when we got to six class, we went to a special <coughs> school. Maybe we were special. Anyway, uh, but it's called middle school. It was just for that one year, our transition to secondary school. Okay, and I discovered boys. There was one bully named Clifford. I think I told you about Clifford. Have you thought about yeah, Clifford? Clifford had a chain for a belt. And Clifford must have been in the, the sixth class for years because he was twice the size of any of us. He just kept getting put in that same year. Just the end of this year. <laughs> but when I and I had a friend named Alan Hunter, we would go running through the, the playground or whatever we were still playing in those years, and I'd come around and there was Clifford. He had his belt swinging like this. Usually people, things bigger than you, terrify you. But when the love of God towers over you, what a comfort it is. What a thought of just how this towers at the height of the love of Christ. It is more important to know just how high this love goes than anything else. You can know all the facts, the names, the places, the words, the history, the science, the prophecies, and the promises of the Bible. But if you do not know the love of Christ, you miss everything. I'm a Bible student. I want to know what happened, when, who, why. I want to know all that. But if I only know it in my mind, and I don't understand it with my heart, and I don't live it in my heart, I miss everything. I miss the joy I should be experiencing and receiving every day. 
Christ was not just pitiful, looking down upon us. Think about this. He was so loving that he's capable of raising us up to sit with him in heavenly places. Our last scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, right to the left. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. God is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins, have quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together where? That's options. You know, some people are looking for a high. Those, those, those college students were looking for a high there last week, weren't they? I got mine 35 years ago. Look at your Bible. It made them to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and the ages to come, forever and ever, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Talk about the height of the love of Christ. That's high. You see, when this thing starts to become that big, you start to see that when the Bible says, and this is where the thought came from, the Bible, remember our verse, I love it, can you help me? Let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. That knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is the length, the breadth, the depth, and the height of love. When you know that, and you comprehend that, it hits you. Well, it hits you. It blows, it blows every bit of the troubles in your life back where they belong. Out of view. And you just, you just fall in love with Jesus. Because he is still in love with you. Here's the invitation. One of the most healthy feelings is love. It does more to heal than anything else. Doctors will tell you that up until the 1960s, they were killing patients that had cancer. There's some doctor, I don't remember his name, there's a movie about him. He went in and these children that were dying of cancer, he dressed up as doctor, he was a kind of a nutcase anyway, but he dressed up as a clown and he came in and he made the children laugh. And they were having tremendous responses to the therapy they were doing because they felt loved. He hugged them. He... He made, he made joy in that hospital room. You know what? Nurses know how valuable that is today. And they know how valuable just a hug is. Somebody's hurting. Isn't that amazing? The most healthy thing in your life is being loved. Second most healthy thing in your life is loving. And then what God gave us right there? The breadth, length, the height, and the depth of the love of God. He's God. You want to you have a healthy tomorrow? You want to be healthier tomorrow than you are today? Realize He loves you. He can't love you less. And believe me, He can't love you more than He currently does because He is love. And you start loving Him back. Here's the invitation. Just Some people, if you've got a lot of money, some of you all of a sudden got woke up. What? What? <laughs> you got a lot of money. 
I can't comprehend a million euros. I can't comprehend a hundred million. Somebody won 14 million yesterday, I guess it was. I can't comprehend 14 million euros. The government can. <laughs> we can't comprehend a million. How do you comprehend a billion? Governments are trillions and trillions in debt. I can't comprehend that. But if you came into a lot of money, wouldn't you try? Wouldn't you try to find out how much can I spend a day? Yeah. They told this one person who just won a million euros. And the, and, the, and the woman asked, how much can I spend a day? And they said, if you spend a thousand euros a day, it'd take you 60 years to get rid of it. Yeah, something like that. She went, I'll get started. <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand? Money, we try to say, oh, I want to fathom the depth and the wealth of that, uh, and the, the breadth and the height and the depth of, of that wealth. Why don't you try to take a moment and, and, and measure his love for you? Perhaps you don't know how much I'm unworthy of that love. Now you understand true love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were ungodly, Christ died for us. <clears throat> you can it. Let me tell you other experiences. How you can experience it? Spend the time with him. In God's heart, there's a place I was made to fill. I find amazing grace. When I'm found within his will, he's reserved a special place where we can spend the day. And he's waiting there for me, inviting me to stay. He loves you that much. He waits all your life for you to one time look at him and say, I love you. When do you think it's time to start doing that? You change your life. You accept what Christ, you know, his love did for you, he forgave you. Forgave every sin that you have been, are doing, and ever will do. There was no sin he didn't die for on that cross that you dare say, well, I don't think I could ever get saved. That's pride speaking. That's the devil speaking. Well, you know, I could never live to be a Christian. You can't be a Christian. Christ lives through you. What's the point? Christ loved you as you are. Amen. That's who? How are you? Everything that's wrong in your life is going to be you. pay for it. It is expensive. You know, if you ever want to know how much Christ loves you, he says this much. He says this much. Father, we bow now, God, just trying to comprehend. It's, it's amazing. Paul prayed for a whole church full of Christians that they might know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, that they might know the love of Christ. My prayer this morning, too. I know it is your desire. Lord, sometimes I think we know too much. We have so much Bible knowledge, we've got no heart. If we had more heart, 
we actually might make a difference. Might actually fix our homes. Might actually lengthen our lifespans. It might actually turn our world upside down like we're supposed to. Might leave us to love one another. If only we loved you. Thank you for teaching us just how big the love of God is. The next time we think of Jesus Christ, we need to just realize he's big. Somebody in this room, Father, needs to grip the Holy Spirit and get on their heart and convince them they're lost. They're separated from God because of sin. You love them, but they have not been changed. They receive the love of God. The love of God does not tolerate our sin, does not overlook sin, does not make excuse for sin. It pays for it. It calls us to leave it behind, to repent, and to believe only on Jesus Christ. Father, we should call somebody this morning. Let them know you are calling, you are speaking, you are drawing with an everlasting love. Let them realize it only lasts. So our last dying breath, then there needs no second chance. Your love continues and continues and continues, but we can shut it off, we can walk away, we can neglect so great salvation. Is there anybody in this room who would say, I put it off too long? I'm not saved because I fought the love of God. Too proud, too stuck, and ready to get born again. Not because I understand, just because I am loved. Lord, set somebody crawl upon you right now and say, I believe in all my heart. You died for me, you buried me, rose again, because you loved a wretch like me. And I now fall in you. Change somebody's life. Change somebody's marriage. Change our church, God. As we fathom, comprehend, and know the love of God with all our understanding. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.